from the team at CTS, this is the TrainRate Podcast, our show for endurance athletes who want to learn how to train more effectively and improve their performance. I'm Coach Corinne Malcolm, your host for the running edition of the show, where it's my job to interview top coaches, scientists, experts, and athletes in the world of running to bring you actionable training tips you can apply to your training. Make sure you also listen in to our cycling edition of the show with my co-host, Coach Adam Pulford, which alternates weekly with the running episodes. Now, let's dive into the show and learn how you can train right. My guests today, that's right, plural, are CTS coaches Nicole Rasmussen and Ryan Anderson. Nicole has a master's degree in exercise physiology and actually worked as a collegiate strength and conditioning coach before really falling head over heels into the world of trail and ultra running. Her insights from all that time, I think are really interesting. And then there's Ryan. Before turning to coaching full-time, Ryan worked as a middle school PE health and social studies teacher, meaning that his approach to coaching really highlights the need for individualized training approach the same way he brought that to all of his students. I really, really appreciate his introspective thoughts on this. I wanted to have both Nicole and Ryan on because of their thoughtful insights into the hurdles we all face in training and racing. So today we're going to dive into all the common mistakes we make as athletes and coaches throughout the entire year. And I hope that you can glean a little advice here and there to apply that to your own training and racing mishaps. Hi, welcome back once again. I am joined today by two phenomenal coaches on our running team at CTS, Nicole and Ryan. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And so I think both your voices should be fairly familiar to our listening audience. You both have been on with Jason Coop on the Coopcast. So hopefully names and voices um, are familiar, ring a bell for folks. But um, I'm going to ask Nicole, you first, and then Ryan, to introduce yourself to the audience. Um, Give us a little snapshot of who you are, um, maybe even how you got into coaching or why, you know, why you've gravitated towards this. And then we'll kind of roll into our topic for today. So Nicole, introduce yourself for everyone. Yeah, perfect. Um, I'm Nicole Rasmussen. Um, I'm an exercise science nerd, a mountain athlete, (laughs) um, a mother of three little ones, and probably most important to our conversation today, I'm a trail and ultra running coach with CTS. Um, Yeah, I, I think I got into coaching I just always had a passion for teaching in general, um, but just really enjoy the process of working with athletes who have big goals, who um, just enjoy pushing the boundaries of what their bodies are capable of and and what they can do. So, yeah. Yeah. And you have an interesting background, too, because you come to us from an athletic, like a strength and conditioning coach, kind of almost athletic training background, correct? Yeah, yeah. So the majority of my coaching professional experience is uh, collegiate strength and conditioning. So, but yeah, found caught caught the bug early with endurance sports and love of the mountains, and kind of kind of switched gears more recently into the ultra running realm, and it's been great. Yeah, well, we're we're particularly happy to have you at CTS. I think it's you're a great addition to our team. It's been really fun to bring a bunch of new coaches on over the past couple of years and really round out 
everyone that we're working with. It's it's I feel by bi- I'm always biased, but I feel pretty fortunate to have so many brilliant people in our corner. Ryan, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Give everyone a little bit of your background and kind of how and why you're coaching trail and ultra athletes. Yeah. So my name is Ryan Anderson. I live in Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm one of the few East Coast trail and ultra running coaches at CTS. Um, and yeah, growing up, I played team sports, baseball, football, I even played football in college, division three, small school. Um, I had too many concussions, had to stop. I was like, well, what am I going to do? I'll run. And then slowly got into trail and ultra running and um, just growing up, I always knew I wanted to get into coaching. I love the athletic side of things. I love the interpersonal things of how coaches connected with their players, knew how to get the most out of them, and then just geeking out on whatever sport it was. So um, all those passions fed perfectly um, into getting into running and trail running. Um, and I was a middle school teacher for nine years before turning to coaching ultra runners full time, taught health, physical education, coach cross country, uh, wanted to make the jump to coaching ultra runners full time, joined CTS last summer and absolutely love it. I've got so many friends who worked in that outdoor ed or kind of elementary school and middle school education. And they're some of the best people in the world in part because I think they can diffuse any situation. They can communicate (laughs) anything that needs to be communicated. Um, They're my favorite people to go into the mountains with for that very reason. So um, very sought after, I feel like, and maybe underappreciated skill set. So why I reached out to both of you, why I wanted to bring you on today was we're kind of rolling into the 2022 season, like in a real way now, like, yes, you know, we've, we've way, we're way past January, but I feel like the 2022 season is picking up. We've got athletes doing, maybe they're getting close to their first a races. We definitely have athletes have who have done their kind of first training races or building races. If that's something that they're, they are doing this year. And I feel like there's a lot of little mistakes that we all make little hiccups, um, little terrain traps we fall into. I know personally, I just did one of my, my first race in almost two years, only a couple of weeks ago, and I sure as heck made some mistakes on my way to the start line and during the race itself. So I wanted to kind of, you know, just have a round, like a roundtable discussion today with the two of you about about these things. And we're gonna start chronologically. We're gonna kind of go preseason, even to the off season, and we're just gonna kind of bounce this around. I want you to ask questions, and we'll kind of see where the conversation takes us a little bit. So, where do things go awry? Where can we, where do we have little hiccups along the way? So Nicole, I'm going to ask you to, to lead us off. If there's a, an off season thing that you see people do, or even that you yourself have fallen into this trap as far as like, what's that first mistake or first oopsie look like? <laughs> oh yeah. The off season the transition season. Um, well, I mean, I will say as a, as coaches, we see, this really big influx of athletes that come in about this time of year, right? The January, February, March. Um, and, and our athletes, they come from all walks of life, right? And fitness levels and experience levels. And a lot of them kind of come to us and they're, they're ready to jump right into training. Um, but I, I'm seeing so many athletes right now, this, and then always this time of year, that, that come to coaching or, or come to this point in the year in a little bit of a panic, um, right? Where, where maybe they have this race on the horizon, um, maybe this ultra in the summer or fall, um, and they, they suddenly realize 
they did not take advantage of the off season or the winter training um, in the way that they should have. Right. And they're looking in their rear view mirror, realizing um, where's my fitness. <laughs> right. Um, and, and so I think, you know, as we look at the hiccups of the off season, a lot of the problems that can, can be prevented if you set a tone going into your off season um, and it doesn't have to be of like high pressure or high volume, you know, but in general, just setting kind of a tone of progression instead of having to spend the spring, getting back into fitness and getting back into the shape, getting into shape. Um, and so a lot of ways that we can kind of prevent that is, um, first with planning, right? I think if you approach your off season with a little bit of planning and laying out a strategy and a long range plan of terms of, in terms of, um, making sure, you know, early in the year, what events you're going to target and anchoring those events into your calendar, um, that can give you a lot of framework for how you approach that off season and for what you want to accomplish in that time. Um, one thing I think is super beneficial in the off season is to take a, a an inventory of your strengths and weaknesses. Um, I know that a lot of times an athlete can list off, you know, their weaknesses really easily. Um, but what I found is it's, it's a, it's a really difficult thing sometimes to work on those weaknesses right before your event, right? That's usually when your volume's really high, you're putting in a lot of hours um, and so in the off season though, when your volume's a lot lower and the time that you're spending out on the, on their, on your runs is a lot lower, it's, it's a lot easier. It's, it's a much, <laughs> it's an easier task, right. To say like, okay, like I need to work on my climbing or I need to work on my technical descents, but my run's only 45 minutes today. Right. So it's, it's, it's easier to tackle those weaknesses in the off season, um, or even to say like, okay, I struggle with my speed, but, but my volume's so low right now. This, it sounds doable. I only have to run three by five minutes hard. You know, it's only 15 minutes hard. Um, and so, yeah, just using that off season time to tackle your weaknesses, to do some planning. Um, and then just making sure that you've balanced your fitness and your rest. Right. Um, I think sometimes athletes get to these first few races in the season and they haven't actually taken that time to rest, to re to rejuvenate your emotionally and physically to take care of those little nagging injuries. Um, and, and then you realize you're back into the season, you're jumping back into racing and you're like, gosh, I really could have used a little more downtime there. And I really could have used, um, you know, a little less pressure, during these, these months, um, there is a lot of wisdom, right. With every, just with, with every culture, right. Across our, our planet there, we embrace that slower time of the season and we embrace that time to rest and recover. Um, but I don't know, you guys jump in. <laughs> no, I think that's, I think it's good. I think I've got a lot of athletes who spend the off season, like, I don't know. They either they either came out of kind of a rough end to last season and they they aren't ready to mentally like reset. And so they're kind of just chomping at the bit. Or I've got athletes who 
they've had a good reset and the next race is so far away that without intention being set, as you mentioned, they're kind of like lost in this like nebulous limbo of being like, why am I training? What am I training for? The race is so far away, but that coming back to intention, like this is what we're intentionally using this time for. I'm always like back to basics. It's time to go back to basics. We're going to get in the weight room. We're going to do shorter, harder stuff. We're going to work on weaknesses. Like I think you could, you as a coach or and you as an athlete get to help like steer the ship and set those intentions. And I think that that's really important to have those things that can help guide guide the way towards, you know, the the long, far off in the distance, a race. Ryan, what if, I mean, maybe we just stole all your thunder, but what do you find is <laughs> hard about the off season? I think first you have to define what off season means to you. Does it mean the mental emotional break? Does it mean work on your weaknesses? Um, does your geography take away the ability to run? Do you have to switch sports? So first, like define what the off season means to you. And then go 1A of like, okay, then what are my goals within the off season? Um, is it mental reset? Do I want to work on speed and work on like those weaknesses we talked about? Do I want to do more social runs? Um, do I want to experiment with nutrition things I haven't got to work on? So define off season and then your goals within that off season. And then as you're starting to creep out of that off season, nail down your plans for the year, have your okay, these are what I would like to get into, but it's hard to get in some of the races we want to get to. And then have your contingencies of like, okay, well, I didn't get in the lottery of Western States. Um, what's what's that other race on my bucket list that I can get into? Because it's, it's not just, can I get into Western States that year or Hard Rock or all these other great hundred miles that have lotteries? Like, okay, how can, how can you find similar races that make you happy? And when you do get the opportunity to do that big race, then you can go have, um, a really good athletic performance and a holistic performance that you're happy with. Um, so that's where I would start. <clears throat> and like, also like your off season doesn't have to fall in with everybody else's because over here in the South, like some people like to take the summer off because it's so stinking hot. Um, we have so many great races from November through March that some people don't handle the heat. Well, no matter what they do, um, to try to prepare for that. So, Hey, I'm going to pick my A races through the winter and then go from there. And then in the summer, I'll just try to get through it. Um, so yeah, be, be your own person in defining your off season. Yeah. You've got to meet your own, your own needs. Just like the comparison game is hard when train with training, like the comparison game is hard with the off season, like looking at other people, what, what, you know, what is so-and-so doing for their off season might not be what you need. So you really have to meet meet the needs of each individual athlete. Um, I think both of you mentioned planning and racing and, and getting into certain races. And I think that's a really important part that starts in the off season and then builds into kind of the training phase for everyone. And I know that I've got athletes. I myself feel the, feel the FOMO of, you know, what race am I going to do this year? What races am I going to do this year? How can I do all of them this year? Like the hunger for for doing that is really real, and I definitely have athletes who might verge towards over racing. They, you know, they're on ultra sign up and they've signed up for everything, type type of situation. So how how when you are looking, you know, you're sitting in the off season, training's ramping up towards you know these a goals. How does that planning phase work for you and your athletes, and how do we deal 
how do we encourage athletes maybe to uh, to veer away from the FOMO of over racing and and back towards kind of like putting together a meaningful season? Either one of you, whoever wants to jump in first. I'd say pick out the races you're that get you most excited, and then like just just start with the big list of you went through ultra sign up and this looks cool, that looks cool, and just get them all down, and then go from there and circle the ones like ooh. That one gets me really excited. And what do you know? That works out perfectly with my schedule and that work kind of dies down. Um, Kids are doing less sports or more sports. It depends on like, yeah, what your training is. And then if the FOMO is real and they want to do races, then you have to have an honest conversation of like, okay, you can do these races, but you're going to have to go in with the right goal and mindset that it's, it's a, it's a training race or you're not going to be able to race and, and PR on this race you go do every year because you, you said this was your big goal in November. So PRing at the 50 K you do every September is not, um, it's not going to work this year. So having honest conversations, um, and yeah, start big, just put everything down on paper. Um, and having a coach or your spouse or your training buddies, like bounce those ideas off of each other. Um, because if you kind of just keep staring at that list, you're not going to make any leeway. And then you're like, oh, well, I will just sign up for everything. How about that? <laughs> yeah, I think even a step back from before you start scrolling ultra sign up, before you make the list, I think a really critical piece in that in that process of planning out your year starts with before even any of that, um, like sitting down with your support system, with your spouse, with your partner, whoever your support system is, and just like getting an honest assessment of um, what can my life, what can my life, how, like how much training can my life support, right? Um, and 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 then like making sure you have that support from your from your loved ones and the people who help you through this process, like like how much how many hours are you willing to support me in this training? Right. Cause we're more than runners. We're, we're parents and we're professionals and we have hobbies and we have children, you know, like we're running is awesome, but we're more than runners. And, and so I think before you even make the list of races, it's thinking, okay, like what do I realistically, how many hours do I re- realistically have to train here? Um, and then even, you know, just taking an honest assessment of where your fitness is right now, you know, like, what does my fitness look like the past six weeks, or even what did my fitness look like last year? Um, One huge mistake I see when people plan out their, their schedules for the year is they pick out their really cool races, and then they work backwards. Um, Meaning, so for example, like, let's say someone wanted to run this really cool 50 miler, it's in four months, and they read somewhere, oh, I need to get 50 to 60 miles. I need to do a handful of 20 plus mile runs. I need to do 150. You know, you have these ideas of what you need to do. And they take their event and they work backwards. So they kind of plot the weeks of like, okay, here's going to be my long runs. And you move back. And then wherever you are, right there, you jump into that training on the next week, right? And and, and really what we should be doing is starting with, okay, I am right here. It's day one. This is my fitness level. These are the hours that I have available or that I think I might have available at peak times. And then how fit can I get, you know, like how realistically and safely, how, how fit can I get this year? And 
And then what races realistically fall within that, that training availability, right? Like when you look at how many races should I run or what distance should I run, we have to consider um, what can my training support, right? And and what, what and can my life support that training? Like that's a really critical step that I think people get really excited in this sport and we always want to go to the further distance, but those are the conversations that are important to have first. Um, I was thinking the other day that, you know, so many people come to ultra running because of the community, right? We have a great community. It's very inclusive. This is a sport for all body types and fitness levels and ages. And there's a distance for you and there's a race for you. Um, but one thing that just drives me crazy in our community is that we, there's like this glorification of suffering that, and it's, and I don't want to say that suffering doesn't exist. It's a, it's an important part of ultra running. Like there's going to be some suffering, but it's almost like as a community, we glorify needless unnecessary suffering. Do you guys, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Do you see this? Like, Oh, hundred percent. hundred percent. Wouldn't it, wouldn't, and we love the, the story of the guy, the, the person who had stomach issues and they were throwing up for hours and hours and they, they had muscle cramps and they limped and they, and they, they made it to that finish line. Oh, we love that story. We, we love it in this sport, but wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be fun to see us as a community like glorify preparation and glorify, um, you know, like consistency and work that, that would eliminate a lot of that unnecessary suffering. It's part of the sport and it's part of our community, but. No, there's actually, there's a really great, um, master's thesis that I've written about, um, by this woman, Jill, and I'll never say her last name, right. I'm actually going to sit down and interview her next week. Um, I feel like it's like in my head, it's Colonia, but I does not, I don't think that's right. But in like, there's this, there's a, a quote within it where she basically says that in the ultra running community, you know, we, we not, we accept and, and expect like a certain level of characteristics that are associated with mental illness. And it's just oh, like, wow. it's almost ignored within the sport. Cause we're like, Oh, that's normal. That's like what you're supposed to be like. Um, and that's like, that's, you know, it's good to talk about these things, but at the same time, like maybe we shouldn't just accept this idea of like immense suffering or um, I don't know, just some, I feel like some negative, some negative associations with a lot of things. So um, yeah, it's definitely, it definitely exists. And I think we all fall into that trap of like, well, I can suffer harder. I can, I can be tougher, um, which is definitely, I don't know. There are certain races, there are certain instances and situations that you can't tough yourself out of, I don't think, or shouldn't tough yourself out of. That's the whole like death before DNF mentality that I think is really, you know, really toxic more than anything in our sport. But that's maybe a rant for another day. <laughs> Ryan, do you have anything to, that you want to add, add to that before we kind of move towards how do we utilize training and build races? I'll just bring it back full circle to that, like kind of how Nicole said, prevent that from happening by planning things out, picking the right races for you and training appropriately. Don't don't pigeonhole yourself into this really difficult race. Every ultra is difficult. Doesn't matter the distance, uh, vert, whatever. Um, pick the race that you're going to get most prepared for and set yourself up for success. Don't 
don't set yourself up in a, in a place where you're not going to be adequately prepared and you can't go get the performance you want and go have fun. Yeah. I think we see that a lot with like, uh, Western States qualifiers, hard rock qualifiers. I just had an athlete recently who has got a lot going on in their life and recognized that the Western States qualifier they wanted to run wasn't going to happen this year. And that's okay. And, and we've shift focuses to some other things that I think they're going to be able to be really successful at, but that was like a decision that had to be, that had to be made. They were not going to have a great experience on race day, given the space that they have been in and the space that they're currently in. And so I think that's, that's a, a big decision, but also a very important decision and a, and a reasonable decision. So kind of continuing on the the vein of, of planning and looking, as, as Nicole mentioned, you know, sometimes we build backwards to find these other races and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't work. Um, but I think we all we all use, I think sometimes oftentimes a shorter race or a specific training weekend kind of as a, as a prep for a bigger a bigger race. And it's not, it's not mandatory. It's not necessary. I tell my athletes that all the time, right? Like if you're not excited about it, we don't need to go do that 50 K and prep for your 50 mile. Like we can do other things to make you, make you fit and build confidence. Cause I think people are looking for confidence in those quote unquote training races or B or C level races. So how can we, do you guys encourage your athletes to seek out these events? Do you only encourage them if it works? Like how can athletes, if they want to use, if they need if they quote unquote need that confidence booster in a training race, like how can we, how can we use them to our advantage and how can we avoid whatever pitfalls might lay, I don't know, down, down the path towards a, a B or a C race? I would say the B and the C races definitely serve a purpose. And I always try to, for some, for some people they have really crazy work schedules to where like they're nurses or, or doctors and it's, it's something crazy where they can only get in like maybe two runs a week. Um, and then for their weekends open up, it's like, okay, let's, if, if that gets you excited um, and that's something you're into, then yeah, we can fit these races in. Or if it's, if it's somebody saying like, I need to do this 50 mile before I do a hundred miles, it's like, okay, why do you feel the need to do that? Have you had past races where your nutrition went really bad after six hours because you were getting into the heat of the day and you didn't know um, the foods you wanted after that time? If that's the case, we could replicate that in a long training run. Or, yeah, let's go do a 50-miler because you're going to have eight stations that are most likely going to have the same food at your next race, and let's work through those problems. I think it's good. It's a good way to problem-solve things that have prohibited a good race performance or, or led to a, a DNF or missing a cutoff time. Um, but I, I do not talk with my athletes and say like, it is absolutely necessary that you get a 50 mile run in, in six weeks out from the hundred miler. That is the key to success. Um, but, and then having the conversation with them, is like, yeah, that makes total sense that you, you feel the need to do that. But also if you do that 50 miler, you're probably going to need, kind of like 10 days to taper and 10 days to recovery. So 50 mile, obviously a huge stimulus, but then would you rather have even training over those three weeks or one massive effort in there to get you more, more fit or more confident? And I think the other thing to consider is like, oh man, like it's, it's going to give me a lot of confidence to do this 50 miler far. I was like, what if it goes wrong? <laughs> then what's your confidence going to be like? It could be completely shot and it could backfire. Um, so getting to the root of why they feel they need it, I think is important. 
Yeah, I think that's really, really important. I've had that conversation with people too of like, you know, what what is that going to take out of you? What's the sacrifice to get that that training race in if it's not the priority? And there's that whole headspace that goes along with it too that I think is really difficult for a lot of folks when it's like, how many matches am I allowed to burn? How hard am I allowed to go during this thing? If it's not, if it's not my key event, so I can keep my eyes on the actual, the actual goal that goal that lays ahead. Nicole, how do you feel when it comes to training or build races or B or C races, whatever we might call them? Yeah, I mean, I definitely utilize them. Like Ryan said, they're not necessary. You don't have to do them. Um, you can definitely get a good confidence boost with with an athlete who's new to the sport, right? Or if someone's making a big jump to a distance, um, just using it as a supported long run. So there's, there's definitely been a benefit there. And while you don't have to use them. Yeah. I just, I think it is important for athletes to realize you can only perform at your optimal level for, for so many weeks out of the year, right? Like you're, your peak fitness is, is only maintainable for so long. And that's because we have to manage the taper and the rest and the recovery periods with the build periods. Um, and so where I feel like those B and C races come in with a huge benefit are, is the athlete who just loves to race a lot. Like I love to race. I love to see new courses and p- these beautiful places. Um, and, and you definitely have to come back to, to the prioritization, right? Like let's make sure you have, one or two A events over the year and prioritize some of these other races. And when you're looking at, well, how many, how many races should I do in a calendar year? You have to consider like how many it's different for everyone. Like how much can your training support to where you're going to feel, feel good during these races and also be emotionally ready to race frequently enough. And every athlete's going to be a little bit different, but um, you know, like, like it's a really, really common scenario to have an athlete come in with a really long list <laughs> and be like, this is my race calendar this year. And, and to have those conversations of it, you have to just consider what, what's your goal at the end of the day? Do you love the community? Do you love just being out there and enjoying nature? Like if that's the case, then yeah, like race a lot. And, and if your body can handle it, but the, for the majority of people, they're, they're, they're in this event because they want to see what they can accomplish. And they're, they're here because they, they want to know what they're capable of and they want to perform at their best. And so sometimes that's a hard conversation to have to say like, all right, we might have to cut some of these races out. Um, I recently had an athlete who was probably racing three weekends every month of an ultra distance or longer when he came to me. Um, and that was really typical. And he'd been maintaining that, um, and we had that conversation, like, if, if you're just here because you love the community and love hanging out with all your buddies from the, the, the week, the weekly run who, you know, you don't want to miss out on any race, then, then that's okay. But, but if you really want to see what you're capable of, you have to work in those times of recovery and, and, and training, like Ryan said. Um, and it was funny, like we kind of cut out a lot of these races um, got him to like kind of a consistent training and I, and I got this feedback of we, we'd probably only been at this at like for six weeks and he's like man I have improved so much I am so fast like you are the best coach in the world you have made me like the fastest runner ever and while I would love to take credit for like you know transforming this runner in six weeks I'm like 
you know, it's, you have fresh legs. Like this is what legs feel like who aren't running an ultra every single weekend. Like you have the, the physical capabilities to train and to put in, you know, better quality efforts day after day and week after week, it's going to translate into better fitness. Um, That's so, so funny. I've had athletes <laughs> like that. I had an athlete who they needed a season to prove to themselves that they could handle. It was a lot of hundreds. It was like five or six hundreds. Um, and then, you know, came back the next season and said, I, I actually want to see how good I can be at this. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay, like, let's do that. And it was like, th- that was the mentality shift. Like it was a, they needed to prove that they could do it. And then they needed to, like, then they wanted to see how well they could do. And that was, you know, yeah, same thing. Like all of a sudden they could do workouts. All of a sudden, like their legs felt great. And I was like, yeah, it's because we're not constantly recovering. Like we get, we get to train, which is so, so <laughs> exciting. Um I personally, I think I've struggled a lot with the idea of, of getting on the start line and being able to like put my ego aside on for a race that's not my A race. And it's hard. It's hard to go into a race and be like, people are going to see this result and and wonder, was it what I wanted? Was it fast enough? Was it not fast enough? Like, was it is it the performance I was hoping for? And I see that in my athletes as well, as far as like the psychological, sometimes like nuance of doing a training race where maybe we didn't taper. Because they're training through it. It's the end of a big training block. And we're just going to kind of use use this as like the last big thing before we take a little bit of rest and start training again. Um, Ryan, do you have any experience with athletes or personally as far as like how do you go into a race and, and that you're not planning to knock out of the park and like mentally put yourself in a good place? Because I think that can... You, you want the athlete to feel good and run pretty well. But at the same time, if you're not tapering, if you're using it as a training run, like even knowing that you still pin a bib on and it's like the gun goes off and sometimes you forget that that's why you're doing the race. And I think that that's a real hang up for a lot of people. Yeah. We, we say B races, C races, but it's hard to call it a B race and not give it an A effort. Um, so <laughs> if, if the athlete really is performance based, then it's a constant conversation for the weeks leading up of like, okay, you're, you're very fit. You, you, you can have a really good race, but also realize it may not go according to plan. Um, or if, if they want to race, then depending on the distance, it could fit perfectly into the end of that training block you were talking about. Or at the beginning of a new block when they're fresh to get maybe like a really hard like 25K race or something like that. Um, or maybe a 50K could fit in there depending on the athlete. But no, it is it is very tricky that that darn ultra sign up score looms over all of us and <laughs> we want to have that alias ultra sign up. So you can't those, escape it. Yeah, you can't escape it. Um, but no, it is, it is really tough. Um, but it just, you have to be very honest with yourself. Um, I know, especially with this, all these things are easier said than done, but, um, realize, can you give the A effort and are you going to be okay that it's, it may not stack up to what you wanted or how you did in the past, but no, that is very, very tricky because yeah, you pin the bib on and you want to go. Yeah. I love to encourage my athletes who are maybe in the over racing category who are predominantly like, let's say ultra, ultra specific athletes, right? You know, 50 K plus I'm like, you know what? Trail halves are really cool. Trail marathons are really cool. 15Ks are awesome. 18Ks, what do you want to do? A 30K? Like there are all these other options out there that I think from the ultra side of the trail and ultra world, we like, I don't know, we don't pay them as much maybe respect or um, 
But man, I would rather go do a trail half than I would like to do a long steady state endurance effort. Um, so I think that trying to, I've, I've, I have tried with my athletes who I feel like really want to race because they like being in that community. They like showing up to those events. Like, yeah, let's make some of these short distance trail stuff, a workout that we can build into your plan as opposed to, you know, having to run a 50 K every two or three weeks. And I've definitely had athletes that really like that. And I think it's way too much. So, oh, it's a, it's a very tenuous balancing act is what I've found. New idea. Sub ultra sign up. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll pitch it. Let's pitch it to Ultra <laughs> yeah. Sign Up. Hey, we've got a new uh, idea for you. We've got a, a little yeah. sister, a little brother company. <laughs> Sub Ultra. Delineate these two distances. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. I think, kind of on that same vein of comparison, um, I see a lot of athletes, maybe, so they're, they're they, maybe they've done their B race. Maybe they're now we're kind of building towards what, that first A race or the A race of the season. And this is where I think I start to see athletes start to question everything we've been doing or get really nervous about like how long their long runs are or how big their peak week is going to be. Um, you know, things that we hear in like, you know, when you've read the the marathon training plans or things that you've heard, heard when you hear an athlete talk about their training leading up to Western States. Well, my peak week was blah, blah, blah. Like what, what can we do for athletes or with athletes when that kind of stuff starts to stress them out? Because I think that's we're heading into that season in the coming months more than anything. Yep. So and so has this much vert. Should I be doing this? Um, and then, like, I like to frame it positive. It's like it's good you're feeling this anxiety because you're really excited about it. You know, so that's good. Let's view it from that from that angle, that perspective. But also, like, okay, let's zoom out. Where were you three weeks ago? or not three weeks ago, three months ago at the start of when we started training, look how much you've progressed. Okay. Um, okay. If you, if you want to dive into the, the person you're concerned about Strava, um, that's cool. Go down that rabbit hole. It's probably not going to serve you well. Look, look back at what you have done and how you have progressed. Look back at like, Oh, when you did this workout Early in the training block, it didn't go well, and then you got much, much stronger. And then as the coach, you have to remind them of all their past years of training history. This is the peak you've been able to maintain. Everybody's different. So instead of comparing others' peak weeks, like go back to your training and be like, oh, yeah, like I get I get super fit off of eight hours of training a week, okay, um, or, or whatever it may be. Go back and compare. I guess self-comparison can be bad as well, but in this scenario, it has the potential to work out better instead of looking at others' peak weeks, others' fast workouts. So-and-so did this race and they performed really well. That's good, Ryan. I, I hate the term peak week. Like I hate that we put so much emphasis on it and that, that I get, we get those questions all the time. What's my peak week supposed to look like? What is my peak long run supposed to look like? Key, what's my key? Is this my key workout? Is this my key <laughs> long run? Like what? Oh, yeah. What does that even mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like maybe we should call it like your peak training block. You know, this is your peak five weeks. You know, we're, this is going to be your peak volume and we're, we're going to hit a lot of volume in these last, you know, five weeks before the taper or you know, we're going to peak climbing and, and look at like a three week average over, over this time. Um, I don't know, like going along back to what Ryan was saying, 
like, I think that's a healthier perspective to, to make sure that athletes know you don't, there's no magical long run number that you have to hit. There's no magical peak week that you have to hit. And, and that goes back to what I talked about earlier, where athletes think we have to hit certain numbers in that peak week and then move backwards. Like you just take where you are, you get as fit as you can, you get as much volume as you safely can. And then, you know, when you're in those peak (laughs) final weeks leading up to your event, um, take that time to, to realize like your training is chronic. We say that all the time. It's week after week, day after day, month after month. All of those things are going to indicate success so much greater than what you accomplish in those three, in that, those last three weeks or that peak week. Um, I think it's a really good time to, you know, we are really, really good as athletes at looking for red flags, especially during those like last, you know, those, the time leading up to a race, we're looking for everything that went wrong in training or every, every time we got sick or, you know, we see red flags really easily, but that's a really great time to, to look for confidence builders. Like Ryan said, like, just like switch your mindset to, 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 to view all the good things that you've done and all the preparation that you've put in. And, and maybe you haven't had the best prep. Maybe things didn't go perfectly, but look for the good and, and let that fuel your confidence going into your race. Um, I had an, an athlete recently who I think, you know, we talk about mistakes that this is a good example. So I want to use, I want to share good examples where she was in her, you know, quote peak week, like the biggest volume before the taper and got really sick, you know, was really, really sick that week and did like zero training over the, over the course of it. And she did such a great job of just saying like, I know, like, I'll be fine. I know, like I have worked hard. I've put in week after week after week, like, this doesn't matter. And I didn't, I didn't even have to prompt it as a coach. And I I think that's a really good attitude to, to look at, you know, like we're going to get sick and it doesn't really matter where in the training it happens. (laughs) Like like you're, you're not going to fall apart because your peak week wasn't perfect. Um, I love that. That's, that's such great, like self-awareness by that athlete. Like that's, that's huge. I think it's, I feel like not, I'm not constantly telling this to athletes, but it's like, yeah, no, you're, it's a summation of all the work that you've done. It's like, yes, the biggest long run we had on the plan might not have gone perfectly. That's okay. Because you've done all these other runs or this one workout, you know, two, two or three weeks out from the race felt terrible. Well, it's okay. Cause you've done all these other workouts. You've done all these other things that, you know, kind of hopefully, can show you that you that you are ready. It didn't have to be this one run. I think people we get hung up on like this one run idea or this one week idea being the most perfect thing ever. I my roommate had to remind me yesterday that I'm really good with a long taper because I feel like my training block for Madeira, which isn't which is like a month away now exactly. It's a, exactly a month away. Like kind of ends right now. Like I'm my next like my next week's really busy, and then I'm going on a honeymoon, and that's my own that's my own fault to plan it that way. But it's like okay, I'm gonna have kind of a long taper, um, and I think that it's kind of she was like, you've done that before, you've had a long taper, it totally worked out. So I think it's kind of nice to remember, you know, yes, comparison both to others and to yourself can be a slippery slope and not always positive. But looking for those things that can provide confidence in those moments of questioning is so crucial that's really cool i love that your athlete had that self-awareness i wish all of our athletes and all of the humans out there running could do the same thing (laughs) okay 
So I think we're kind of moving towards the very last thing that's going to happen before race. And that's taper. That's rest. This is kind of a broad, a broad topic, right? Like you could talk about rest days, rest weeks, rest seasons. We kind of touched on off seasons earlier, but, you know, kind of moving towards the race, you got that taper that's coming up. So where you got the taper tantrums, we all know, we all know those all too well. What can athletes do to survive the taper tantrums, to rest accordingly week to week? Like what, what have you seen in your athletes or seen personally to, in order to embrace rest or embrace the taper, um, to get to the start line healthy and hopefully fit and happy too. I feel like it's worked out the best for my athletes when they get to, when they get to the taper and they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm so ready to taper because they put in the training. So that's good because then there, there's no, um, anxiety around your fitness. There's going to be anxiety about all the race logistics and everything going right. And then what can go wrong and all that. Um, and you, you could either assign your athlete or yourself homework of what you're going to do for the race of like, okay, finalize your nutrition and all that. But for some that, that would not be a good idea. Obviously they have to get those things prepared and, um, get their drop bags and everything, but some that's a good pivot to, to make themselves feel better and keep themselves busy in a taper. Um, or it's like, Oh, you've been talking about this thing you've wanted to do around the house or the backyard. Like, let's go do that. Let's put that on the training plan. One hour of yard work or something, (laughs) you know, um, let's figure out other things that can, can fill your time to where you're not just focusing on this race. Cause when you're tapering, you obviously have more time, um, to do other things because you're training less. Um, Pick out a book, um, figure out if your personality needs to keep focusing on the race or you need to pivot away completely. So you go into the race very excited. I like that, Ryan. Do you really put mow the lawn on the on the schedule? Read a book. Do you put that in training book, training peaks? <laughs> I, th- I put read the book on there for sure. I love it. I love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, the rest rest is tough because this this is an addictive sport, right? There's something about being in the mountains, putting in those hard efforts, those long efforts. It feels good and it's fun. And, and I think the type of athletes who gravitate to our sport like to push their limits, you know, and they, they, they really enjoy that aspect of it. Um, But there is, there's a difference between pushing limits and being stupid, (laughs) you know? And, and I think, I don't know, when we talk about all these, um, hiccups and traps that athletes fall into along the way, they kind of all come back to a similar theme of like having that long range plan in place from the beginning, right? Having that strategy in place from the beginning that, that gives athletes a lot of buy-in and a lot of confidence when they know that I'm going to train really hard when I need to, and I'm going to rest really hard when I need to. Um, uh, I, I like to maintain like, you can still maintain a little bit of intensity during your taper. You can, you can maintain some climbing during your taper. All you need to do is take the volume down, right? Like you can still go pretty tough on some of your efforts. Um, but we're just going to drop the volume and focus on a little more rest. Um, it's hard to be a, do objectively. I think it's, it's nice when you have a coach who can look at things really objectively and tell you when it's time to rest and not just in a taper, but resting in general. It's, it's nice when there's a coach to bounce that off of. But I think the athletes who can do that 
who can be objective towards their own training and see when it's time to rest and when it's not, um, probably have the best, best chance to be successful. Cause that's such a key part of part of what we're, what we do in our training. Yeah. I think I, I've had to look at rest in a way in which it's like today for training, I am resting, which was like, you know, like maybe that's a trick. <laughs> like that was, you know, a way to trick my brain into being okay with it. But I think, yeah, having that person be at a support, a supporting person being a partner or a training partner or a coach who you really trust to be like, yeah, they, they want me to rest. I can rest. I'm, I can do that. Like, I think sometimes just being told to rest is enough. Um, at times. And then I think that once again, kind of going back to that confidence piece and that comparison piece is if you get into taper, it's really easy to spend that time questioning, like, am I ready? Did I do it all right? Like go into it knowing that you did, like, that's why you're tapering. You got the race coming up. You did the training. Um, questioning what you've been doing for the last six weeks isn't going to help um, come race day. It's only going to make you spend your week very, very stressed. So I think that that's a good, a good place to go into go into race, race mode, race day. What else? Is there anything else that you guys had on your notes that you were like, this, this one thing, if I could make runners stop doing this one thing, it would be X or Y. Was there anything that came kind of to the top of your mind when I said, hey, I want to talk about common running mistakes, common training mistakes or racing mistakes that you wish that that little piece of advice would, would help, would help a runner kind of move through their running life a little bit more smoothly? Don't change how you eat the the week of your race. Uh, th- that's a very very common question of like, should I eat differently? Um, no, because you did these big training weeks and you ate how you ate and you executed. So don't. It's it's just like we have more time, so we have more time to think. What can we change? What can we do to keep getting prepared to have our best performance? But yeah, that's a big one of like, should should I drink more water? Or should I, yeah, should I eat something differently? Should I start eating vegetables more this week or something like that? And it's like, no, do it, do what you've been doing. Um, I'm sorry. I can't give you things to do. I'm telling you to run less and I can't give you new things to implement. Um, but that's, that's kind of how it goes as we're getting ready for this race. Yeah. No, no new changes, no new changes race week. I think that's a good thing. Nicole, how about you? What, what's one, if you wish that runners could just change this one little thing, or maybe it's personally. You know, um, I read a book recently um, called The Molecule of More. Have either, either of you read it? It's on it's, my, it's, it's on a list that I have going. But oh, I good. Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, it's not about ultra running. It's not about athletics. Um, but it's just something I've been thinking a lot about because I, um, it's, it's essentially a book about dopamine, right? And it's a, it's a book about the state that our brain is in when we're chasing goals, right? That like we have this dopagenic mindset. Um, and that's, that's really the molecule in our brain that, that causes us to want to do better, to, to, to want more, to, to chase a goal. So, you know, it's like the reason that humans have put, spaceships into orbit and you know like like we we look out at what we desire and what we want and it, and it gives us the motivation to chase it um but there's there's also like this this side of this dopagenic mindset right where where we're never going to be satisfied <laughs> right like like this is the problem with addiction and a lot of things and but i mean just something i've been thinking about a lot is that 
like with ultra runners, I think all ultra runners should read this book of just, I think that people who come to our sport really have that mindset of like, we, like we want to push, like we want to go further and we want to um, explore the boundaries of what's possible for ourselves. And, and I think that's wonderful. And I think it's great. And I think it's a really important piece of, of who we are as humans. Um, but that like at the end of the day, this is like the takeaway of the book that, that like chasing those dopamine highs never actually gives you contentment or never actually gives you, (laughs) gives you happiness. Um, and that the people who are really happy in life have like developed this, this ability to be content and to recognize that like happiness comes in smaller doses. It's not these highs and lows, but like, it's like the oxytocin mindset that keeps you just like contentment and it's like long-term love. And anyways, I'm totally going off on a tangent, but, but I was thinking about this when we talk about rest and ultra runners and how hard it is to get us to rest. Sometimes I think, you know, we come to the sport cause we love the high of like competing and racing. Um, but, but every single athlete that I talk to, usually part of their goals, they tell me, I want to be doing this when I'm 80. And I want to be doing this when I am, you know, when I'm old, I want to be running forever. And I want to be able to, to enjoy this hobby with longevity. And I think if you really, if I could like give an athlete one piece of advice, it would be to sit back, like view your career as an athlete with a really long lens to look, look at what you're trying to do over a 20 year span or a 30 year span. And I think if you do that, we feel less pressure to have to do all the races this year, right. Or to have to go after that Western States qualifier or to chase the hundred mile, even though I've yet to do a marathon, you know, sometimes if you can view your career with this really long lens um, or even, you know, like thinking I have to put in this training run, even though my ankle really hurts or (laughs) I have to, you know, there's a lot of like, I have to's. Um, but if you can develop that sense of contentment with who you are and where you are right now, um, that's probably more important than what we think that sometimes these races are going to give us. Right. And that what we think finishing some amazing endeavor is going to give us. Um, it's a really wonderful and important part of our lives. It brings us a lot of satisfaction and contentment, but but just step back and look at things from a, from that long lens and with a long view. And I think if athletes could do that, it would solve and eliminate a lot of the problems that we, that we deal with when it, when it comes to racing and, and implementing our training. Yeah. I think that it's kind of like the, the philosophical, the philosophical answer to all of our, <laughs> all of our problems. Um, I guess in that, kind of to follow that note, we're going to, I'm going to ask you kind of both, both the same question, but it's going to be our final question. Um, and we'll start with Ryan is, and I did not put this in my show notes, but it is something that I, I've asked everyone at this point, And I think it's kind of a nice question to end things on is what's something that you know now that you wish you knew when you started ultra running. And so mm. Ryan, is there something that you know now that you wish that you could go back, you know, 10 years, however long and, and tell that, that ultra runner, all the races I want to do are going to be there. <laughs> I don't have to do them all in one or two years. Um, yeah. And I wish I would have found out about electrolytes sooner. 
all the races will continue to be there and electrolytes. And electrolytes will help with that. Yeah, I was doing San Juan Solstice with a buddy and was feeling terrible, like getting slight pains of dizziness. And he's like, have you had any salt? And I'm like, what? And he's like, here, eat this noon tab. Don't put it in your bottle. Eat the noon tab. And I did. And I was like, oh, that, that actually tastes good. If that tastes good not being in the water, that's, that's probably not good. It's probably not a great sign. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's amazing. I don't think I've ever met anyone who's just eaten a noon tab. So this is the first. Um, Nicole, what would you tell the, that, initial, that initial trail or ultra runner that you – that's something that you know now that you wish you knew then? Yeah, I think I would tell young Nicole um, to keep things simple. Um, you know, I everyone's talking about the Neil Vanderpool's speed skater uh, training, but but my fa- my favorite thing from what he put out in his little journal was that like at the end of the day, speed skating is just like a single leg squat repeated over and over and over and over again. Like that's all it is. Um, and and it reminded me of. Uh, there's like this documentary that follows this high school cross country team and they're really successful and they've had this program that's like won state championships for years and years and years. But the night before the state championship, someone asked the, the kid, you know, he's like the number one runner on their team. And they said, what's your race strategy tomorrow going into the state championship meet? And this kid, like, this is so wise. And I, th- and this is so awesome. The kids, he, he put his arms like this in a running moment, movement. He said, I'm going to go like this. And then I'm going to go like this and then I'm going to go like this and then I'm going to go like this. So he's just pumping. I I don't know if you can see me, but he's just pumping his arms like a runner. And he's like, and I'm going to keep, and I'm going to do it again and again and again. And like, just, it's just running. So it's just running. And, and it's at the end of the day, you put in time on your feet, you, you eat calories, you go slow enough and eat enough. You can go forever. And, and, and just to keep things simple, like enjoy, the simplicity don't get wrapped up in the many, many voices who are telling us what to train or how to train. Like at the end of the day, it's a really simple activity that's, that brings us joy and keep it simple. I love that. I think that's a great place to end our show today. I want to thank you both so very much for coming to my round table of, of uh, maybe a comedy of airs in a lot of ways um but hopefully lots of people will be able to glean some information um moving forward in their own 2022 season um i think that's gonna be it thank you both so much we'll talk to you guys again soon thanks corinne that was fun thanks for joining us this week on the train right podcast we hope you enjoyed the show Make sure to visit our website at trainright.com slash podcast, where you can find social links and more for our guests. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends, and leave us a rating on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.